Book One, Chapter Eighteen of My Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephanie Dupal de Martin. My Antonia by Willa Cather. Book One, The Shimerdas, Chapter Eighteen. After I began to go to the country school, I saw less of the Bohemians. We were sixteen pupils at the sod schoolhouse, and we all came on horseback and brought our dinner. My schoolmates were none of them very interesting, but I somehow felt that by making comrades of them I was getting even with Antonia for her indifference. Since the father's death, Ambrosch was more than ever the head of the house, and he seemed to direct the feelings as well as the fortunes of his womenfolk. Antonia often quoted his opinions to me, and she let me see that she admired him while she thought of me only as a little boy. Before the spring was over, there was a distinct coldness between us and the Shimerdas. It came about in this way. One Sunday I rode over there with Jake to get a horse collar which Ambrosch had borrowed from him and not returned. It was a beautiful blue morning. The buffalo peas were blooming in pink and purple masses along the roadside, and the larks perched on last year's dried sunflower stalks were singing straight at the sun, their heads thrown back and their yellow breasts a-quiver. The wind blew about us in warm, sweet gusts. We rode slowly, with a pleasant sense of Sunday indolence. We found the Shimerdas working just as if it were a weekday. Merrick was cleaning up the stable, and Antonia and her mother were making garden, off across the pond in the drawhead. Ambrosch was up on the windmill tower, oiling the wheel. He came down not very cordially, when Jake asked for the collar, he grunted and scratched his head. The collar belonged to Grandfather, of course, and Jake, feeling responsible for it, flared up. "'Now don't you say you haven't got an Ambrosh, because I know you have, and if you ain't a-going to look for it, I will.' Ambrosh shrugged his shoulders and sauntered down the hill toward the stable. I could see that it was one of his mean days. Presently he returned, carrying a collar that had been badly used— trampled in the dirt and gnawed by rats until the hair was sticking out of it. "'This what you want?' he asked surlily. Jake jumped off his horse. I saw a wave of red come up under the rough stubble on his face. "'That ain't the piece of harness I loaned you, Ambrosh. Or if it is, you've used it shameful. I ain't a-going to carry such a looking thing back to Mr. Burden.' Ambrosh dropped the collar on the ground. "'All right,' he said coolly, took up his oil can and began to climb the mill. Jake caught him by the belt of his trousers and yanked him back. Ambrosch's feet had scarcely touched the ground when he lunged out with a vicious kick at Jake's stomach. Fortunately, Jake was in such a position that he could dodge it. This was not the sort of thing country boys did when they played at fisticuffs, and Jake was furious. He landed Ambrosch a blow on the head. It sounded like the crack of an axe on a cow pumpkin. Ambrosch dropped over, stunned. We heard squeals, and looking up, saw Antonia and her mother coming on the run. They did not take the path around the pond, but plunged through the muddy water without even lifting their skirts. They came on, screaming and clawing the air. By this time, Ambrosch had come to his senses and was sputtering his nosebleed. Jake sprang into his saddle. "'Let's get out of this, Jim,' he called. Mrs. Shimerda threw her hands over her head and clutched as if she were going to pull down lightning. "'Law! Law!' she shrieked after us. "'Law for knock my Ambrosch down!' "'I never like you no more!' 
Jake and Jim Burden, Antonia panted. No friends, any more. Jake stopped and turned his horse for a second. Well, you're a damned ungrateful lot, the whole pack of you, he shouted back. I guess the Burdens can get along without you. You've been a sight of trouble to them anyhow. We rode away, feeling so outraged that the fine morning was spoiled for us. I hadn't a word to say, and poor Jake was white as paper and trembling all over. It made him sick to get so angry. They ain't the same, Jimmy, he kept saying in a hurt tone. These foreigners ain't the same. You can't trust em to be fair. It's dirty to kick a feller. You heard how the women turn on you. And after all we went through on accent of em last winter, they ain't to be trusted. I don't want to see you get too thick with any of em. I'll never be friends with them again, Jake, I declared hotly. I believe they're all like Kradjiak and Ambrosh underneath. Grandfather heard our story with a twinkle in his eye. He advised Jake to write to town tomorrow, go to a justice of the peace, tell him he had knocked young Shimerda down and pay his fine. Then if Mrs. Shimerda was inclined to make trouble, her son was still underage, she would be forestalled. Jake said he might as well take the wagon and haul to market the pig he had been fattening. On Monday, about an hour after Jake had started, we saw Mrs. Shimerda and her Ambrosh proudly driving by, looking neither to the right nor left. As they rattled out of sight down the Black Hawk Road, Grandfather chuckled, saying he had rather expected she would follow the matter up. Jake paid his fine with a ten-dollar bill Grandfather had given him for that purpose. But when the Shimerdas found that Jake sold his pig in town that day, Ambrosh worked it out in his shrewd head that Jake had to sell his pig to pay his fine. This theory afforded the Shimerdas great satisfaction, apparently. For weeks afterward, whenever Jake and I met Antonia on her way to the post office, or going along the road with her work team, she would clap her hands and call to us in a spiteful, crowing voice, Jakey, Jakey, sell the pig and pay the slap. Otto pretended not to be surprised at Antonia's behavior. He only lifted his brows and said, You can't tell me anything new about a check. I'm an Austrian. Grandfather was never a party to what Jake called her feud with the Shimerdas. Ambrosch and Antonia always greeted him respectfully, and he asked them about their affairs and gave them advice as usual. He thought the future looked hopeful for them. Ambrosch was a far-seeing fellow. He soon realized that his oxen were too heavy for any work except breaking sod, and he succeeded in selling them to a newly arrived German. With the money he bought another team of horses, which Grandfather selected for him. Merrick was strong, and Ambrosch worked him hard. But he could never teach him to cultivate corn, I remember. The one idea that had ever got through poor Merrick's thick head was that all exertion was meritorious. He always bore down on the handles of the cultivator and drove the blades so deep into the earth that the horses were soon exhausted. In June, Ambrosch went to work at Mr. Bushy's for a week and took Merrick with him at full wages. Mrs. Shimerda then drove the second cultivator. She and Antonia worked in the fields all day and did the chores at night. While the two women were running the place alone, one of the new horses got colic and gave them a terrible fright. Antonia had gone down to the barn one night to see that all was well before she went to bed, and she noticed that one of the roans was swollen about the middle and stood with its head hanging. She mounted another horse without waiting to saddle him, and hammered on her door just as we were going to bed. Grandfather answered her knock. He did not send one of his men, but rode back with her himself, 
taking a syringe and an old piece of carpet he kept for hot applications when her horses were sick. He found Mrs. Shimerda sitting by the horse with her lantern, groaning and wringing her hands. It took but a few moments to release the gases pent up in the poor beast, and the two women heard the rush of wind and saw the roan visibly diminish in girth. "'If I lose that horse, Mr. Burden,' Antonia exclaimed, "'I never stay here till Ambrosch come home. "'I go drown myself in the pond before morning.' "'When Ambrosch came back from Mr. Bushy's, "'we learned that he had given Merrick's wages "'to the priest at Blackhawk for masses for their father's soul. "'Grandmother thought Antonia needed shoes "'more than Mr. Shimerda needed prayers, "'but Grandfather said tolerantly, "'If he can spare six dollars, pinched as he is, "'it shows he believes what he professes.' It was Grandfather who brought about a reconciliation with the Shimerdas. One morning he told us that the small grain was coming on so well he thought he would begin to cut his wheat on the 1st of July. He would need more men, and if it were agreeable to every one, he would engage Ambrosch for the reaping and thrashing, as the Shimerdas had no small grain of their own. "'I think, Emmeline,' he concluded, "'I will ask Antonia to come over and help you in the kitchen.' She will be glad to earn something, and it will be a good time to end misunderstandings. I may as well ride over this morning and make arrangements. Do you want to go with me, Jim? His tone told me that he had already decided for me. After breakfast, we set off together. When Mrs. Shimerda saw us coming, she ran from her door down into the draw behind the stable, as if she did not want to meet us. Grandfather smiled to himself while he tied his horse, and we followed her. Behind the barn we came upon a funny sight. The cow had evidently been grazing somewhere in the draw. Mrs. Shimerda had run to the animal, pulled up the lariat pin, and when we came upon her she was trying to hide the cow in an old cave in the bank. As the hole was narrow and dark, the cow held back, and the old woman was slapping and pushing at her hindquarters, trying to spank her into the draw side. Grandfather ignored her singular occupation and greeted her politely. "'Good morning, Mrs. Shimerda. Can you tell me where I will find Ambrosch? Which field?' He with the sod cord. She pointed toward the north, still standing in front of the cow as if she hoped to conceal it. His sod corn will be good for fodder this winter, said Grandfather encouragingly. And where is Antonia? She goeth. Mrs. Shimerda kept wiggling her bare feet about nervously in the dust. Very well, I will ride up there. I want them to come over and help me cut my oats and wheat next month. I will pay them wages. Good morning. "'By the way, Mrs. Shimerda, he said as he turned up the path, "'I think we may as well call it square about the cow.' She started and clutched the rope tighter. Seeing that she did not understand, Grandfather turned back. "'You need not pay me anything more. No more money. The cow is yours.' "'Pay no more. Keep cow,' she asked in a bewildered tone, her narrow eyes snapping at us in the sunlight." Exactly. Pay no more. Keep cow, he nodded. Mrs. Shimerda dropped the rope, ran after us, and crouching down beside Grandfather, she took his hand and kissed it. I doubt if he had ever been so much embarrassed before. I was a little startled, too. Somehow that seemed to bring the old world very close. We rode away laughing, and Grandfather said, I expect she thought we had come to take the cow away for certain, Jim. I wonder if she wouldn't have scratched a little if we'd laid hold of that lariat rope. Our neighbors seemed glad to make peace with us. The next Sunday Mrs. Shimerda came over and brought Jake a pair of socks she had knitted. 
she presented them with an air of great magnanimity saying now you not come any more for knock my ambrosh down jake laughed sheepishly i don't want to have no trouble with ambrosh if he let me alone i'll let him alone if he slap you we ain't got no pig for pay the fine she said insinuatingly if he slap you we ain't got no pig for pay the fine she said insinuatingly jake was not at all disconcerted have the last word ma'am he said cheerfully it's a lady's privilege End of chapter eighteen recording by stephanie dupaul de martin